Great to be in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Great privilege to be able to live for the Lord Jesus, be able to serve Him in this end time. If you can put up with me for one more service, you'll be having a really good preacher Wednesday night, Brother Andrew Glover, and then a really good preacher on the weekend, Brother Matt Watkins. So if you can tolerate me for one more service, then you'll get a break, okay? Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now let's read again from what we read last night from the church age book. This is the last warning. There will not be another. The throne room has been set up the twelve foundations have been laid. The streets of gold have been paved. The gates of gigantic pearls are raised and hinged. Like a pyramid, she stands so fair and glorious. The heavenly beings who have prepared her watch breathlessly. For she glistens and shines with a glory that is unearthly. Every facet of her beauty tells a story of amazing grace and Jesus' love. She is a city prepared for a prepared people. She awaits only for her inhabitants, and soon they will throng her streets with joy. Yes, it is the last call. The Spirit will not speak in another age. As you know, the seventh age is the last age. The ages are over, but thank God, at this moment, this age is not over. He is yet crying in his cries, not only in the spiritual ears of men by his spirit, but once again, a prophet is in the land. And for all of that, we say, thank God. May the Lord help us now. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today, Lord Jesus. So we endeavor, Lord, to be able to look into our new home. I pray that you would help us, Heavenly Father. We know that we cannot comprehend such a place. How can we fathom such a, such a city, the great eternity, when all we've known is time and limitations of our mortality? But we're asking you today, Father, that you would quicken us, that you would raise us in heavenly places, that we might be able to leave this building, as it were, for a few moments of time. Dear God, that we could be a changed people, that we could become that people you desire us to be. For it's in the name of the Lord Jesus that we ask it. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And he carried me away into the spirit to a great and high mountain 
and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And this is the answer to what the angel was going to show him of the Lamb's bride or the Lamb's wife, which is the bride. As we looked at it last night, that in, in prophecy, in terms of prophecy, that cities can represent a people, they can represent a natural city, they can represent a kingdom as Babylon and Rome and different cities of the Old Testament. Those of you that read your Bible and know that God would take comparisons and render those this way. So when John is in this Isle of Patmos and being moved upon by the Holy Ghost to see the bride, the Lamb's wife, it must have been quite a, an amazing thing as he looks and he sees a pyramid-shaped city. And he's to understand that this is actually the Lamb's wife. It must have been a city of such brilliance. Now, remember, John was a man that from locally there in Galilee, but he had been in Jerusalem many times and had been into different cities, of course. But now he was on the Isle of Patmos, sentenced there by the Roman government because of his stand for the gospel. But no matter how many great cities John would have ever seen in his lifetime, what's fixing to unfold to him is unlike anything he's ever experienced. Truly, may I say to many of you, some of you maybe are world travelers and you've been allowed to go into different places. Myself, I've stood in different nations of the world and seen many great cities of the world. But yet, there's nothing I have ever seen or any other traveler that would be able to compare to this blessed place that we're going to study about this morning. It is not an earthly place. It is coming down upon the earth, but its origin is from a divine architect. I've known different architects in life, and a friend of mine in Delaware many years ago was an architect, an engineer. He didn't design cities or anything like that, but it's more in the production line of of companies and facilities and things used for that way. But I enjoyed going there from time to time and watching his mind, how it would unfold and all these calculations, how they would be able to make these machines within, you know, microseconds and make these machines facilitate different things and different processes and how they would work together. If you get it wrong here, it messes it up down here just amazing how the human mind can be able to do that and watch them on the PDF drawings or CAD drawings and see how that they can make it work together. It's just an amazing thing. But yet, nothing that man has ever been able to engineer or design will come anywhere close to this magnificent city. Not so much that it's so far beyond what man can calculate because it has a common number in the city that goes over and over again, and that is the number 12. So 12 is not a very hard number to be able to calculate, divide, multiply, add, subtract, and so on. It's a very common number used in the pyramids of Egypt, 
uh, a number used in the Roman numerals, of course, a Roman a number, but also used in calculus, algebra, different things like that. So it's a very common number, so it's not that 12 would be such a divine number that it'd be hard to be able to relate to. But the story that this city tells is one beyond what algebra can be able to understand. It's one beyond what the greatest person in the world that would be able to, uh, be able to understand calculus and algebra 1, 2, and so on. But it's the story of the mystery of love. It is a story that is beyond addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. It's a story of divine nature. It is a story that only those who've been touched by a divine God could be ever be able to relate to such a thing. I don't mind telling you these things that we're going to look at here today. I have a hard time relating to them. The brilliance, the magnificence of what this city will be. I've never lived in such a world, nor have you. To be able to understand how it will ever come about, how can a city of such greatness and such vastness come down out of heaven as a comet and be able to land upon this earth and not fall apart? (laughs) Well, I ain't going to worry about it, to be honest with you. I figure the great architect that can build it has got that all worked out in the plan. Since he himself said in the church ages to him that overcomes, while I write upon him the name of my God. Hallelujah. And I will write him upon him the name of the city of my God, which shall descend out of heaven. So if the architect himself says it will descend out of heaven, you can bank on it. It will descend out of heaven. So to me, what we do in these things is we leave them in the hands of the designer and know that he knows exactly how to bring it to pass. So we open our story this morning and we, by vision, we borrow off of what we can that John was able to write down and we move for a few moments if we can beyond this world that we all know so well into a world of supernatural, a world of vision. Most of us have never seen uh, probably vision, so we have to take the words of the prophets of how they transpire, how they actually happen, how those men felt when they were there, how they felt when they came back into a tangible world. And still much of it is a mystery to us. But they were able to write enough where we can read about what they saw. I know it makes it quite difficult for us reading the book of Revelation because John was transcending mortality, entering into a realm that hardly any of us have ever been there. That we've never hardly been able to be able to contact it for just a few moments and then we move back into our mortal bodies and it's really hard for us to relate. But yet John, by the Spirit of God, was able to write it in such a way that it would be able to take on human types and human measurements and so on. And I realize that for many people, the book of Revelation is jumbled up and it's all mixed up 
because there's parts of it that are uh, written with a symbolism. There's parts of it that is written with a natural interpretation. So it makes it very hard. Is this spiritual? Is this natural? But we believe in the advent of the coming of our Lord that there's many things which will come together. The spiritual and the natural will come together in a marriage as also the bridegroom and the bride. So no doubt there's much of the part of the book of Revelation is spiritual symbol. And I'm sure that even part of what will be alluded to today in the story about the city, that there's many, many spiritual symbols that are mirrored in the lives of his individual bride. But yet we do believe that it's not so spiritual that it is not a natural city. How many believes that it is a city? It is a natural kingdom upon the earth. It will descend from God out of heaven into a natural earth which will be changed. But yet in the contents of the story itself, it is merged together in a mesmerizing ability to hold us in such suspense and hold our very spirits and our souls in such a world that we leave in sometimes a state that we just don't feel quite the same. That we're wondering in our minds, can such a place exist? Can such a world actually be brought down to this world that we have known? Will such a world transpire in reality? And if you're a believer, your soul says, yes, it will. Now, how will it all come about? I'm not worried about that. That's beyond my ability. I'm just to make myself ready. I can't even make myself bride. I just make myself ready and do what I'm supposed to do and know that he'll take care of all the things that you and I cannot do. Now, John, if you'll notice how that we want to enter into this in verse 10, that John gives us the secret to it in Revelation 21.10, and he carried me away under the Spirit to a great and high mountain. So the entrance into the supernatural revelation of this city is it was by the Spirit of God. So the angel did not give John a video off of YouTube. Or he did not give John a book or just a bunch of pictures. Or he did not give him a description that was handed down by someone else. But the angel of God carries John into the spirit and he's now broke into the realm of vision. Now we know that God created seven dimensions. They are light, matter, time, science, where the unbeliever goes, where the believer goes, and where God is. Now John is carried up into the realm of the fourth dimension, which is the realm of science, through which radio waves, television rays, uh, all these different spectrums of lights, and all that comes through. But it's also the realm that God chose to deal with prophets in the realm of vision. Now we know that a prophet is a different makeup of an individual that he's born with the supernatural contact inside of his soul that he can break into this realm and he can stand there seeing a vision with his eyes wide open. Now he's not passed out 
and he's not dead. But as I said last night, you may peck him on the shoulder. You may speak to him. You may call his name. But he cannot come out of that realm because his soul is actually in that realm of the fourth dimension. And there he can see things and be able to relate to things and come back the way you and I would and having a dream. And that and leaves and presses something upon our memory. And we come back from that world where dreams are. And we remember that dream and write down maybe the dream and I saw someone in a green car and there's wearing a pair of Levi's with a yellow checkered, you know, whatever more. And we come back from that. So this is the way the prophets would have their visions. So they would go out into that realm and then when they would come back, the impression of that vision would remain upon their mortality, <clears throat> excuse me, long enough to where they would be able to write down lest the vision would be lost in the lapse of immortality and mortality. So God would impress them while they were there in that realm and then they would come back and while they were there and John's in a cave on the Isle of Patmos so these visions were given to him no doubt multiple days and multiple weeks and multiple months and as he would see God knowing his limitation of how much he could remember what would happen to him and then he would allow him to go up and then he would allow him to come back down and write down what he would see and then maybe refresh himself because these things were overwhelming to mortals and then when he was refreshed God would take him up again now when John writes it we're reading is as if though it was successive that it happened you know one moment after another after another but the span of time could have been weeks or months how long that John was there but God allowed John to be able to pin it as if though it was one successive stage of the vision into another because it actually dovetailed and folded one stage right into the other. Now when John is carried by the angel of God into the spirit, he said, I want to show you the lamb's wife, the bride. Now notice what he sees and he says, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So we see that the city and the mountain are two separate things. Now remember, by this time, the stage of the earth has already entered into the eighth day of her new creation. So the volcanoes have stopped spewing out the volcanic activity, the earthquakes and all that has now reached its climax and the new earth has unfolded in its Eden beauty. So by the time that John merges into the vision, the mountain has now pushed up from over across where the center of the earth will be which as we know, Jerusalem. But it goes beyond where Jerusalem is, of course, 750 miles this way, 750 miles this way, 750 miles this way, 750 miles this way. So we make Jerusalem where the Jews called that it was the navel of the earth. So from here, 1,500 miles out will be the scope of the city. But remember, the city is only a capstone which is going to set down on the mountain. So the city itself is a miniature pyramid like this. It is a capping off of a mountain. So John sees this mountain, and no doubt it reaches thousands of miles beyond the base of the city itself. So if the city is 1,500 miles square, just at the top, can you imagine how large a landmass this mountain will be for it to set on? It may be four to 5,000 miles by which it will come. But remember, there's going to be plenty of room on the earth because there will be no more sea. 
So keep in your mind that it will be a gigantic building of a pyramid and the city itself being a miniature pyramid will only be the capping or the capping off on top of the mountain itself. So John says that he saw a great high mountain and showed me that great city. Two different things. That great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Now the mountain does not descend from heaven but the mountain pushes up out of the earth. What is it? It is the future home of the heavenly bridegroom and the earthly bride. So the mountain is earthly, but the capstone is heavenly. The bride is earthly, but the bridegroom is heavenly. Amen. But yet both of them merge together. Now, even though the earth is earthly, her origination actually originated from the eternal in his mind. Same with the bride. Though the bride has an earthly body, yet the bride originated, of course, in the eternal before there was ever an atom of light, matter, time, or anything like that. So it is the expression of God's attributes becoming tangible that he wanted to have a world that he would be able to live in himself. Now let's move to verse 11. John says, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. Now we already know that the glory of God has appeared in many, many forms down through the ages. God revealed himself, of course, uh, back before time ever began, before man was able to write about it, when the glory of God condescended out of the great eternal and started forming himself towards flesh and what we call the Logos. And then this was, of course, the Son of God. It was the tangible part of the eternal that would later become a human being. And that was the glory of God because when Jesus was here, he said, Father, share with me now that glory that I had with you before the world was. So the glory of God, which is the Hebrew word, doxa, it is the splendor of his majesty, which is revealed of his person. Now, most of us here today, we've experienced the glory of God, but we have experienced the glory of God in a very mild, filtered way. Now, think about this. This city is 1,500 miles at, at east direction, 1,500 miles square, 1,500 miles this way, that way, that way, that way, and this way. And there will be no electric poles in that city. There will be no lights like this. The sun will never shine on the streets of that city. The moon will never shine there because there is no night there. So where does it get its light? The light comes from the divine glory of Almighty God. Now think, you and I, we participated, have we not, in the glory of God? But we've never participated in the glory of God that will be revealed in this magnificent state in the city because I'll tell you why. It would kill us in these type of bodies. If God come down right now with just a small portion of that glory and started shining from the pulpit out or from this aisle out, every one of us would be on our face, our hands would be weeping and crying. If the magnificence of that glory kept getting greater and greater, they'd find hundreds and hundreds of dead people right here in this church because we would not be able to take it. Our bodies would not be able to withstand the magnificence of that glory. 
Praise the Lord. But yet when we get there, our bodies will be changed. Now think of what brilliance that there will be that will so come from that city that there will be no need of any type of light because his glory lightens the city. Well, we know that God in a small reduced way allowed the glory of God to be revealed as the Hebrew word is Shekinah, which we call it in the English Shekinah. But it was what was allowed to appear from time to time. Moses saw that. He said, Lord, Exodus 33 and 30, for. He said, show me now thy glory. Let me, let me see your face. God said, no, you cannot see my face, but I will allow you to see a little bit of my glory. So God puts him in a cleft of the rock and then he puts his hand over the cleft and as God walks by and then he moves back his hand and what Moses sees is the image of a man, which we know is the expression of Christ. And when Moses walked into the pillar of fire to receive the Torah, when he comes back out, the glory of God was so much on Moses his face that the scripture tells us that Moses face did shine with the glory of God and they had to put a veil on Moses' face because the people couldn't even look at him. Now you imagine this is a secondary glory that was so weakened compared to the glory of God, but yet the people could not look on another human being who had been experiencing that glory. So how great will it be in that great city that day? We will have to be changed for sure. But this is one of the things that John now sees about the magnificence of this city that really stands out to him first of all when he sees it, and that is the glory of God. Now remember, this is a type of the bride. So the bride is now in the state where she can share with this magnificent doxa glory of God in a state that she never could before. We'll never be that way in mortals. We know that, do we not? We'll never be able to experience this type of the glory of God because we could not take it. But John notices now about this brilliance and this glory and he says it this way, having the glory of God. Now he mentions this before he mentions the size. He mentions this before he mentions the shape. He mentions this before he mentions the geometrical measure by which he's going to lay out. So this glory must have been a very predominant thing to John as he looks and beholds her in the vision. Now him being in the vision, he's already momentarily supernaturally changed where he'd be allowed to go into this. If not, this would have killed John's body. So spiritually, John was able to be uh, changed to enter into the glory of God and be able to see it. It must have been a wonderful sight, wouldn't it have been? To be able to see the glory of God and the great state that John was now carried into. And he says, having the glory of God on her. Now remember, she is a bride. So what's this telling us? That the bride in this state is able to bear the resemblance finally and the image of what God intended for her to bear when she left with the Logos in the beginning. Now she's been severed from that glory down through time even though she knew there was a time. David longed for it. The kings longed for it. The prophets longed for it. The Holy Ghost filled saints down through the church ages knew. We've got our seal. We have our deposit. We have our down payment of the Holy Ghost. But we know there's more to it than what we've got. Is that right? We know there's a greater portion of God's glory. Here you are, friends. 
The tabernacle experienced a portion of this glory. The temple experienced a portion of this glory. And the human temple, the Lord Jesus, experienced a portion of this glory on the Feast of Pentecost, 50 days after his ascension. Then the New Testament church also experiences a portion of this glory with the pillar of fire coming down and tongues of fire setting down upon each of them. But still it was a limited measure of glory. But now John sees the bride, the lamb's wife, as she is now coming down out of heaven. I hope you understand. When he sees her coming, it's you. Do you understand? You are not on the earth looking up here and seeing some type of something. It is you condescending, coming down, descending in the attribute of God. It is you coming down in this city. The city is not empty. It's full of inhabitants. Praise be to God. Come and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. It's not a bunch of empty houses and a bunch of empty palaces. It is you. You are the city and the city is you. Praise be to God. Having the glory of God. Now, not merely just the Shekinah of the cloud of God's presence, but actually God himself. Now, notice he says, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious. And I shared it with you last night that the words there, her light is Greek, and it actually means light giver. So her light giver is applied to the heavenly illuminaries, which will now bring this this diffusion of great light, which is the glory of God. Now the sun, remember, is an attribute of God, and God said the sun and the moon would last forever and forever. Now about the other planets, stars and so on, I'm not sure about them, but I do know the sun and the moon are going to be part of God's attributes, and they will actually be in part of the program of God in eternity. But there will be no need of them in the city itself. But on the outside of the city, now can you, can you imagine those of you that have been to major cities of the world, and you know, you've got to admit, even though they're a great contagion of sin and all that, but to see their lights and see them illuminated, it, it's absolutely something. I flew into different major cities of the world and coming in in the nighttime and watch them as you come in, and it's absolutely breathtaking. Or fly out at night. Many of the international flights, when you fly out of Africa and India and places like that, you don't leave till 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night. So whenever you go out and you're heading out on that 747, and the, it will bank many times as you come around and, and see the cities of the world. It's actually something to see. But I, I just imagine as John was seeing here what it will be like for those kings of the earth that will live outside the city and there's no night inside the city itself. And the great colors, the 12 colors and the foundation and the illuminating power of the Son of God, the Lamb, and the Heavenly Fathers are coming down through that. And at nighttime for thousands of miles, the people living outside the city, these rainbow colors will be coming out 
out. You know how it is? Even going to a little small place like Elizabeth, and I needed some gas last night, so I went down after service, and you see uh, yellow lights and red lights and all these signs. And I told Carol, I said, can you imagine what it's going to be like when them kings live outside the city? Oh, my, hallelujah. And for thousands and thousands of miles and millions and billions of people will see the great illumination of this city of God and they will see the light on the other side. It is coming through the jasper and the amethyst and the chrysostomus and all of these beautiful stones and the emerald. My, what a place it's going to be. And think about it. It's not something that's going to last for a week or two. It will be forever. Oh my, notice he says having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. Now, God of course is as having John to write this in a very close similitude to things that he'd be able to relate to on the earth and also things that we would be able to relate to as close as possible. But know that God can create things of course and has created things that we are not even aware and most jasper stone is not clear. Now, they can be red, they can be green. We'll show you some here in just a few moments. But actually, they have never found to this date a jasper stone which is clear. But if God says it's jasper and God says it's clear, then God can make a whole bunch of it if he wants to. Or it may be here and they just ain't found it yet. But I want you to notice now how the bride is now bearing in her representation of coming down from heaven the image of him who sat upon the throne in Revelation 4.3. And he that sat on the throne was to look like a jasper and a sardine stone and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Now remember the sardine stone. Of course these are the birthstones of Reuben down to Joseph. So it starts with Reuben ends up in Joseph and the high priest wore these upon the, the Urim Tummim on his breastplate and whenever they were seeking the counsel of God about something now notice it was four square it laid four square on his breast and he would have these stones in order and as they were seeking the truth of God about something that the light of God supernaturally would come and hit these lights and produce a rainbow color. There's the foundation of your city. So here the high priest not even realizing what he was doing. He's wearing the foundation of the new pyramidal city upon his chest because he represents the Lord Jesus. Praise be to God. So the light of God shining upon these and whatever it did supernaturally, then it produced these reflected colors. It's called refracted light. So it would come and hit this and it would bend inside of these stones because many of these stones, God made them opalucent or iridescent where they would be able to translucent as well, where they would be able to come through and it would actually bend the light and then come out on the other side. And as it bends and comes through, then it begins to reflect part of its color through that bend of light. Y'all follow me this morning? All right, you don't have to get with me now. Because you realize that the Creator loves, absolutely loves, real beauty. Now, He does not love worldly beauty or man-made beauty, but God is the author or the Creator of the original divine beauty. 
So don't get in your mind that heaven's going to look like the west side of Chicago or it's going to look like the south side with all the slums and all of that. I stood in Bombay, India many years ago and I saw tens of thousands of people uh, living in the streets and cardboard boxes and there's so many of them they can't run them off. There's no way to get rid of them because they're everywhere. So here is the main street of Bombay, which they've changed the name to Mumbai. But the Bombay street, the very main street with all their businesses and so on, thousands times thousands of people living in cardboard boxes and lean-tos made out of tin or a card, uh, car door, whatever they can pick up along the way in order to give them a little protection. Heaven is nothing like that at all. There'll never be one homeless person in the great paradise of God. There'll never be one hungry person. There'll never be one person that'll be left out. Oh, I wish somebody would preach with me this morning. There'll never be one person, no matter what color they are by race, what background, what culture they are, what they were worse in life. None will be treated any better than the other, but all stand level before the cross of the Lord Jesus. Now notice here how that when John sees the Lord Jesus in this vision, he that sat on the throne was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. So here now he's catching the jasper stone in the, the reflection of its redness and he picks up the sardine stone and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So here the mighty God is likened unto a jasper and when John sees the city coming down from God out of heaven, she is bearing that image of her blessed Lord. So it shows that she has now been glorified in her body and the temple of God, the house of God, the city of God, the bride of God is coming down on the earth so she is now reflecting that same image that she looks like him. So the redeemed church will have the same appearance that he has. Now watch verse 12. And it had a wall great and high and had 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Now remember, 12 is a foundational number used in the Old Testament and in the New. 12 appears over and over again, as we'll see it here in this city. 12 is also a number of the tribes of God, also a number of the people of God. 12 squared, of course, 12 tribes, 12, 144, 144,144 cubits, the size of the wall, 216 feet. So 12 is one of the numbers of God that he uses over and over again. Now by this stage, we've moved past sevens and we've moved past forties and we've moved past fifties, but we're moving into the foundational number of God, which is 12. So here he sees a great wall. Now in this wall, there's not going to be any meanness on the outside of the city. There's not going to be any crime. Why in the world? would God need a wall around this city because in this wall is a reflection of the story of the church ages and a reflection of the story of the grace of God. So it has a wall great and high. Now the walls in the ancient cities were used for three purposes. And that the first one was in defining or declaring a boundary. In order to say this is the city wall, this is the confines, and this is identified 
identified as the city of Sardis or Philadelphia or Laodicea or the New Jerusalem in this case. So a city is defining. A city is, is a declaration of boundaries. And this wall comes right outside the city and it goes all the way around. Now can you imagine a wall 1,500 miles this way, that way, that way, and this way. And the wall will stand 216 feet tall with an estimated 232 feet thick. Woo, that's my daddy. Praise God. He's the first construction crew that ever started and he'll be the last one. Now, notice so the position of the church is declared also in that she has a wall. The bride is identified by having a wall. Now, this is part, of course, that many folks don't like, but the bride must have a defining wall itself. And that is, it's made up of many aspects, but let's look at a few of them. That part of that defining wall is a good foundation to know what to do, what not to do, where to go, where not to go. So we have a defining element about us that's in our wall, and that is a defining element of belief, of what we believe and what we stand for and what we're identified with, right? Now, in the age we're living in, everybody, of course, being Muslim, being compromised, Laodiceans, they believe one thing today until they find out public opinion don't like it, and then they'll change tomorrow. And then if they need to, they'll change next week, and then change the next week. And then, well, that, that's not the way the bride is. What the bride believes, she believes. And now notice the identification of this meant so much to God that God will reflect this all through eternity. Can't you see why God hates wishy-washy people? People that are up and down, up and down. You're not identified in the traits of the city. Because this is a defining characteristic of the bride that what she believes she holds on to. And notice that this wall is laid out upon and out and near the foundations. And upon these foundations are what? The names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So our divine, our defining security, what separates us from the world, separates us from religion, is that our wall rests right upon the teaching of the apostolic fathers. Amen. Amen. For those who feel like we don't need the apostles no more, the city testifies against you. I realize some of you message folks think, well, Brother Branham went beyond the apostles and we're gone beyond the apostles. I want you to read this and understand the name William Branham was not found in the foundations of this city. Now, Brother Branham was a great man and a huge portion of heaven awaits him, but John never saw him and John never saw his name. Come on now, don't get mad. Let's just read the Bible and preach the truth. He had a great position, but let's leave his position where he left it. Amen. Our doctrine is based upon the teaching and the doctrine of the apostles. Right? It is defined. This is where we stand. Oh, hallelujah. That made some of you mad already. But walls also were a place of enclosure. Now, in that, it can be a place of protection. It can be a place, of course, whenever the enemy is coming against you. But the church is like the Lord Jesus in that the church not only has the ability to power, uh, to be able to save, to be able to lead people out of darkness, but the church, if people will get in the church and go in behind the teaching of the church, as Christ has the power to save, he also has the power to keep. 
As the bride has the power to help deliver you from the evil of the world, if you'll follow in line with the defining order of the walls and the symmetry of the church, then the church also has the ability to keep you while you're here on this earth. Now, it's not just church attendance I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking the principles of what God sends through his ministry and you apply that to your life, then every day when you walk out here in hell, you're more than a conqueror. Why? Because you've got a definition. You've got a symmetry that defines where you stand and you're listening to the ministry of God as they go right back to the Word. You have brothers and sisters that you fellowship with. Oh, church, let's have, let's have service today. What do you say? And this gives us the ability that the church not only can help bring you out of darkness, but the church can help keep you from going back into darkness if you will get inside those walls and remain there. Well, praise the Lord. We are an enclosed people. We are not a bunch of wonders that go, you know, over here and over there and homeless. Well, that's what a lot of folks are. They're church homeless. They don't have a home church, so they're homeless. And they just stream here and they go here one service and go over here one, one service and whatever more. And they really don't want one. Now, I'm not talking about people that stream because they don't have a church to go to. There are hundreds of people all over the world, and I venture and say thousands, that wish they had your seat or they wish they had a seat at Brother Tim Pruitt's church or Brother Mike Price or wherever more, but because of job, location, whatever more, they can't do it. I thank God for streaming. Streaming's not meant to replace going to the house of God. But I'm glad for those who can't come to the house of God, at least they can be able to stream and have church right there in their home. Praise the Lord. But notice we are an enclosed people. And being that, we are protected as long as we're under the enclosure of the city of God. And here the city of God coming down out of heaven, it bears the identification. Now notice what God is going to reflect in eternity are principal paramount things that are so important to him. It will bear the insignia on the city itself. This is why the doctrine of the apostles is such an important thing. Brother Branham did not come to replace our Bible. And the people around the message who feel like he did do not understand his coming at all. Well, praise the Lord. Let me tell you what kind of prophet of God we're following. I heard him the other day is he's fixing to preach a sermon. It's actually the one in future home. And I, I, I got the wrong track on the CD that I was listening to. And he got his Bible out as soon as I listened to it. I knew it wasn't the right one because I've heard this one so much. But I thought I'm going to listen to it for a few minutes. So I did and went on maybe 10, 15 minutes into it. And uh, Brother Branham was talking about people with prayer calls. And they laid their prayer calls and handkerchiefs and things up there for him to pray for. And he moved them over. He said, no, I'm not moving them out of the way. I'm just moving them over for my notes and my Bible. And then he caught himself and he said, I mean my Bible and my notes. Now message people have taken his notes and exalted them above the Bible. <laughs> well, I know some of you don't like that because you're guilty. That's the way he taught it. That's the way I believe it. Mm. That's right. Now notice then the city of God as well as the house of God on the earth is actually a city of habitation. Now it's, it's so very sad, friends, because the world itself, the Christianity as far as a whole, they're losing their people so rapidly and so fast. You understand there's thousands of churches that close in America every year. 
Absolutely every year because people are losing their interest to go to the house of God. So they're having to, to bring in Starbucks. They're having to bring in clowns, literally. Not just the one in the pulpit, but I mean, but others. They're having to bring in clowns and they're having to bring in all types of activities into the church in order to keep membership. Let me tell you something. We're planning on building a new facility and doing this and that, but let me let you know right up front. Church ain't about hot dogs. Church ain't about hamburgers. Church ain't about basketball, football, soccer. It ain't about tag. It ain't about horseshoes. It's about getting ready to leave this world. Amen. And when we get to a spot, we have to do that. I say it's time we close our doors. The word of God ought to be the most important thing in our life. Can we come together and have fellowship? I believe that with all of my heart. I think the days are approaching where we need to provide actually a place for our people where they can escape all this taint of the ungodliness in Laodicea. But God never intended forever to replace the main theme of the church is this. Cast out devils. Heal the sick. Preach the gospel. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. That's the commission of the church of Jesus Christ. And of course, the third things that walls were given for was for defense. Our walls are a protection. They keep us from, you know, the air of false doctrine and many, many things. They keep us from the things that Satan wants to do. Thank God for it. Aren't you grateful? There is great power in protection. And no, the church, of course, is not the only thing that has walls. But yet, when we're not building an asylum. We're not building a prison. We're interested in a city. Praise God. Now, I want you to notice this, that John says, and had a wall great and high, and had 12 gates. 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So for a Muslim to ever walk through there, they're going to have to have a real conversion, ain't they? Because no matter which gate they'd start into, they're going to look up and see one of the sons of the children of Israel. Now, can they be there? Of course they can. They'll not be there remaining a Muslim because Allah is no such a thing. That's a lie. There is no such God as Allah. Well, praise the Lord. That's exactly right. So now we come into the view of where the number 12 shows up. And that was 12 gates and they also 12 angels and 12 names. So 12, 12, 12. So the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, the patriarchal fathers of the Old Testament, and then they parallel with the 12 apostles of the New Testament. So we have 12 being the foundational number of the Old Testament, 12 being the foundational number of the New Testament, and 12 will be incorporated right into the foundational number, 12 foundations, each of those stones being 20 feet thick. They will come right into the foundational number of the city, also 12 gates. As I told you last night, those gates will be set 500 miles apart. Brother Sister, we're talking about a big town. Now, I feel like most of you, I, I got a text from Brother David Sowell this morning, and I texted him back and forth a little bit, and he said, man, I enjoyed that service last night, and I've never enjoyed cities, but I'm looking forward to this one. 
Most of us ain't city folks, but I believe I'm looking at some city dwellers right now this morning. Amen. But it ain't going to be a city like anything we've ever known. You'll enjoy it, believe me. Now watch, then the 12 tribes, they will have their names written over. So I wrote down a few things here to show you. The 12, so there'll be 12 gates, 12 angels, 12 tribes of the children of Israel, 12 foundations, 12 apostles, 12 pearls, 12 kinds of fruit, the wall 144 cubits, which is 12 squared, 12 times 12. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the city walls are 216 feet tall, 500 miles apart. Now, it will be each one of these gates are not made out of metal. They're not made out of two befores and two besixes, but they are made out of one solid pearl. Notice in verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now here we are plumb over in the eighth day. And the title Lamb is still showing up. Sure makes me feel sorry for the brothers who think we don't need him now. When God's still identifying this office. Now the, the office itself is completed and fulfilled. But this means so much to the eternal. It will be incorporated into the holy city throughout eternity. So notice then the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now you remember reading in the Old Testament when Joshua being a type of Jesus and Joshua actually had 12 men to bring over a stone. Oh glory. 12 men to chosen out to bring over a stone and they would lay that stone and it was an identification of the entrance into the new land. So now here our Joshua, the Lord Jesus, chose 12 men in order to lay a foundational stone upon which the church would be built and the city would be built and in eternity their apostolic testimony is still ringing right down through eternity. Don't you understand how important them apostles were to the Lord Jesus? Not only 2,000 years ago, but in the millennia, in the aeons of ages that are to come. They are so important to him. Their names are written in the foundation of the city. Don't tell me we don't need Matthew. Don't tell me we don't need Thaddeus and Paul and Peter. We need them, my brother, sister. You see, as architects often have their name inscribed in foundational work or in cornerstones or in different places of the city. Now remember, it's not the apostles themselves that's even doing this. It's the Lord Jesus. He said, boys, y'all mean so much to me. I'm going to put your name out here. I'm going to let it be buried right here in the foundation of the city. It'll be there for eternity. As I said last night, most foundations of buildings and things are hidden away. But these foundations are way too pretty to hide. What's this in the Hebrews series? The prophet said, now the woman represented the church and the child she brought forth was Christ. The moon under her feet was the law and the sun was her head was grace. Twelve stars in her crown was the twelve apostles. And there's where we're at. The twelve apostles was the glory or the crowning of the New Testament. My goodness, and then you mean to tell me we come down to the end time and God throws that crown away and says we don't even meet it no more? Nope, you believe false doctrine. 
the 12 apostles was the glory or the crowning of the New Testament for no other foundation can be laid than that which is already laid see it's the foundation the New Testament the apostles the doctrine of the apostles and so forth is the founding crown of the New Testament and the believers at Happy Valley said what? Future home, the throne up here on the top and the dwellers all up and down the mountain. The throne up here on the top and the dwellers up and all up and down the mountain. And the wall that's around this had 12 foundations and each one of them had the breaststone that was in Aaron which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Look at the 12s again as they merge. And in the gates, they had four gates set just exactly like the temple in the wilderness, like the tent was in the wilderness. And notice each one, the apostles, three on each side, 12 apostles, and it was 144 cubits high. 144 cubits high is exactly 216 feet feet. Now, so you've got this wall that's 1,500 miles this way, that way, that way, that way, 216 feet tall. Can you imagine what a gigantic wall that that is? The walls of Babylon are 350, but this one is not necessary because there ain't going to be no Babylonians there. There ain't going to be no liars there. There ain't going to be no crooks there. Is that right? So it will be reflected, of course, of what God wanted it to be. Now, if it was a flat cube, which if you look at many of these on the internet, and you'll find out they have the city descending from God out of heaven, and it will come out of heaven like a square cube. But God's body has never looked like a box. God's body has always been represented in the form of Headship. A box has no headship. There's no way to cap off a box. You just fold the lids. That's all you do to a box. But if you build it in the form of a mountain, every mountain that has a pyramidal shape on the earth that was spewed out by the volcanoes is a testimony of the future coming of the kingdom of God. <laughs> Amen. Every mountain upon the face of the earth, whether it be along the Appalachian Trail, whether it would be the Himalayas, whether it would be in Europe, or whether it be Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa, every one of them bear the resemblance and testify of the coming of the kingdom of God upon this earth. As they spewed out of their bowels and the earth itself gave them the material to spill it out. So in the last day, will the mountain of the Lord's house set down on top of Mount Zion. Notice this. It was 144 cubits, 144 cubits, exactly 216 feet, making each one of those big stones almost 20 foot tall. The breastplate in that gate making up that wall that was around the city. You mean the Old Testament still merging? Yes, the Old Testament still merging. How? In the form of color and names. Notice he said, it's the city. The city doesn't rest on top of the wall because the city of 1,500 miles could not do that. It's the wall here that you enter in like the gates of the old Jerusalem. You entered in through the wall. Each one of these had the 12 foundations. Each one had the emerald and the different stones which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And the apostles, each over that big one, 
So the wall is 216 feet tall. And we have a gate made out of one solid pearl. To date, the biggest pearl that has ever been found. What, 21.8 pounds worth over $35 million. And they think that's big. I'm going to tell you one thing. That pearl caused somebody a lot of pain. Now, you know that the pearls, they come from a certain species of the mollusk. And actually, some of them, all of you think in your mind, probably, unless you've already studied in depth, that most pearls are round. You need to broaden your understanding. All pearls are not round. As a matter of fact, there's certain clams in certain locations of the earth, and they will actually make them where they're wavy like this. And there'll be, you know, conjectures go up and down, and they're really odd and peculiar shapes. But tradition has conceived in our minds, that's why you go to searching this, and you'll find most of the gates will be one round pearl. But it doesn't say one round pearl, but it may be of different shapes and different forms. And yet, you know, whenever it forms in there, a piece of a grain of sand or something will come inside this shell, and this animal, little animal, does not have any hands to reach in there and throw that thing out so it begins to secrete from its body these glands and it will begin to encase this piece of sand or this piece of metal whatever it is and it will begin to increase this getting bigger and bigger and bigger because it's causing it much pain but here in the mystery of God is the very entrance into the very gates of the city itself when the Lord Jesus gave us the parable that a man going about looking for pearls and he found one here and he found one there and he found one somewhere else until he found that one great pearl that one great pearl of great price oh my many of us looked out in the world you drank you smoked you run around and done this and that and the other trying to satisfy longing inside of you but do you understand that pearls is the only one of all the gemstones on the face of the earth or in the water that gemologists cannot perfect or change they will take a diamond and they must cut it they will take an emerald and they must cut it they can work on every other aspect of precious and semi-precious gemstones but to this date they have found no way to bring a pearl beyond its perfection of what this little animal and pain brought it to. Amen. They can't polish it and make it any more shiny. They can't cut it open and add aspects of the facets of light into it. Once it comes out, amen, it's where it needs to be. Let me say that to you. That is the way the truth and the approach to the Lord Jesus Jesus is. He don't need to be polished up for a bunch of Laodiceans to make Jesus more acceptable. He is acceptable in his original form. He is a sin forgiver in his original form. He is a partner. He is an eternal life giver. He is a serpent bruiser. Hallelujah! Let's take him in his original form. He does not need to be enhanced. You cannot improve on the Lord Jesus. Glory be to God. So here the Lord Jesus allows the builders' names to be instilled in the foundation. <laughs> Reagan wasn't one of them. Pruitt wasn't one of them. Search all you want to, you'll never find the name Vin Dial. 
Mike Price. Well, come on, don't get quiet. That's not who we are. That was given to these 12 men chosen by God. And my brother, sister, may I say to you, we need their teaching more than we've ever needed in our lives. So the whole Old and New Testament will be consummated in this great city as God unfolds its glory. Now watch here in Ephesians 2.19. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. What is it? The city. Amen. Notice in verse 15. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. Now what you notice when you read this further back in Revelation, he didn't have a golden reed. But this reed or rod was fitting for the city he's measuring. And it's fitting for the man who's going to measure it. Glory to God. And the gates thereof and the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. 1,500. Now these are words, the Greek word is stadia, S-T-A-D-I-A. And it equals out to 1,500 miles long. Wow. Let's find a place to close. When the sea is gone... Because pretty near four-fifths of it's in water. Don't you love that, that theological term there? Pretty near. What a theologian. Pretty near four-fifths of it in the water. That's right. The explosion dries up the sea. Erupts the earth. Oh, my. Remember, 1,500 miles square. What a city. But remember, the sea is gone. The breadth and the height are the same. That would make it 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles that way, 1,500 miles by the length, by the breadth, by the height, 1,500 miles. Think of it, transparent gold. Now, let's be honest. This is a gold that transcends any gold we know. Now, look at your gold ring and see if it don't. Look at any gold that you've ever seen in life and see if that gold was transparent. But this gold, the metallurgical composition of it apparently still renders it cold, but may, gold rather, but maybe one little altercation that works on the color part and God says it's gold, but it's transparent gold. You imagine on the outside of the city, it'll be like the crystal palace. But it ain't none of it glass. Praise God. It's all gold, but the color is gone. 
Brother Donnie, I ain't never seen no Goliath. Do you know it's there? Because the Bible says it's there. I need proof. I got proof. The Bible says it's there. Notice, think of it, transparent gold and the city had a wall around it. Now that doesn't necessarily mean being equal to said the walls and the foundation were equal. That doesn't mean that it's a cube or a square. There's another geographical measure that the dimensions are the same. That is a pyramid four square, like four square and the walls were the same. Let me draw it. Amen. We're going to get into something sure as the world, see? Notice the dimensions of this angle is exactly the same. All of them length by the height. There is another measure of the pyramid. This, this way would answer exactly Enoch's sign in Egypt. The pyramid. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's stand. <laughs> One of the brothers last night when I come into my desk, there was this gigantic jug of Gatorade sitting on my desk and a little note said, great expectations. <laughs> Should have brought it out this morning. Y'all would have been up to it, sounds like. Don't you love it when the word is that wonderful? Don't you love it when God's word so grabs our attention that it's more important than eating lunch? It's more important than whatever activity you have planned for the evening, friend. This is our home I'm talking about. Praise God. Let me go back to the quote that we opened up with here in the beginning. Oh, my, how, how I love this. If you're not ready today, friends, let the Lord Jesus change your heart. Praise the Lord. I love the way God allowed this great truth to so strike our hearts. Notice this. Brother Daniel, let's go back, whoever's back there in the back, to right at the very beginning. <clears throat> Opening of the service there, the one in the church hates book. I want you to put it up so you can read it with me. This is the last warning. There will not be another. The throne room has been set up. The twelve foundations have been laid. The streets of gold have been paved. The gates of gigantic pearls are raised and hinged. Now you imagine the things that people fight and kill for here on earth are pavement in heaven. What is it about gold that man loves? Man has fought, he has killed, he has maraudered, he's done everything for gold. And God uses it for pavement. Praise God. Like a pyramid, she stands so fair and glorious. The heavenly beings who have prepared her watch breathlessly. For she glistens and shines. Now friends, if they do that, can you imagine what it would do to us? All they have seen since their creation... And yet this city goes beyond anything they have ever seen in their life. And they saw the earth. They saw the stars. They saw all these things come into view. And they are captivated. They're just... <gasps> Praise God. For she glistens and shines with a glory that is unearthly. Every facet of her beauty 
tells a story of amazing grace and Jesus' love. She is a city prepared for a prepared people. She awaits only for her inhabitants. And soon they will throng her streets with joy. Yes, it is the last call. The Spirit will not speak in another age. The ages are over. But thank God. At this moment, this age is not over. He is yet crying. And his cries, not only in the spiritual ears of men by his Spirit, but once again, a prophet is in the land. Now, if this was finished in 1965 when this book was completed, the church age book, and handed out first time, and what was it? God's power transformed, power transformation, 9-11, somewhere in there, 10-13. It was the first time it was handed out to the people. How much closer are we now? 2019. But you know why the rapture didn't come? Probably the inhabitants didn't know they was inhabitants yet. You was out there in the world running around crazy, out of your mind. But thank God, God in His mercy reached down and got a hold of you. Called you to Himself. Praise God. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we count it such an honor to be in Your presence here today. Lord Jesus, I pray that You would help us. Lord, if I'd all be honest, we'd have to say there's so much about this we just don't understand. No wonder that the writer would say, how can the mind comprehend? Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love and serve Him. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that You've made a way. Every aspect of this great city, oh, much of it we won't understand, I'm sure, until we get there. And as we go through and go to walking around and looking at it, there'll be avenues and parks, the tree of life blooming in every yard. The water will trickle out from under the throne and start down the mountain. And it'll enter into some of these saints' backyard and come around their house. Or maybe as it diverts around like Frank Lloyd Wright, one of his houses where he Elevated it a little bit and put the water actually underneath it. Enter at the back and come out in the front. And it'll keep on trickling down the mountain till it covers thousands of miles. And somehow or another there'll be a pump in the bottom. And it'll turn and pump it right back up. And it'll start its journey again. Every aspect speaks of grace. The light will never go out. We'll never have light bulbs to blow because there won't be no light bulbs. Because this light will not fluctuate from 110 to 113 to 120 to 127 as ours do. As most of these people probably know, it's what causes their light bulbs to blow. It's because the voltage will surge and it'll jump over the 120, maybe 124, 125, 126. When it does, their light bulb blows. But in that city, there will not be any fluctuation at all of the light. After we've been there a hundred million years, if we could count time, we haven't aged one day. We're not tired of it. Nobody's bored. Nobody's wanting to go anywhere else. 
Nobody's complained about the colors. Nobody has complained about the size, about the neighborhood they live in. Everything has been absolutely perfect. Praise God. Oh, Jesus, may there not be a one of us missing that day, Father. Maybe you're done with that city there. Carol talking about it going down the road last night. She said, what a wonderful, wonderful thought about what he's doing on the earth and what he's doing in heaven. I said, yep. He's creating that city there. What is creating that city there in heaven is creator. He's making a city on the earth called a bride as high priest. <laughs> Glory to God. She said, he specializes in multitasking. <laughs> Praise God. Creating this beautiful paradise of being our faithful and true high priest at the same time. Thank you, Father. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise your holy name, Lord. Don't you love him, saints? that offering. If you visited here today, God bless you. We're glad to have you. Streamers, hope you enjoyed it. It's been good. All the money we could pile in these bags here this morning wouldn't pay for what we've heard. Right? right. Praise the Lord. Let's sing it, Brother Harry, as we get ready to go. Beulah Land, I'm longing for you. Are you? Yes. Praise the Lord. Sing you a verse that we'll help you on the court. I'm kind of homesick For this country, thank you, Lord, to which I
just give the Lord another hand clap of praise before we go this morning. Let's sing this this morning as we go. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'm going to fly away. Amen. Let's sing that this morning. Certainly has good to been, been good to be in the house of the Lord this weekend. Amen. Certainly enjoy the services. Amen. Well, some glad morning when this life is over, I'm going to fly away. I'm going to a home on God's celestial shore.